So we spent the last three weeks looking at um, different aspects of this walk with God that we're all on in one way or another. Um, and we looked the first week at hearing God and how he speaks to us and how he speaks to us through scripture and how he speaks to us through, even through dreams and visions and how he can speak to us just through a person. And I've often, and, and I'll share this next week probably, but even this week I had the most random experience of someone speaking to me on the bus but spoke directly into something that they knew I don't even know the person. Um, but God speaks all the time. He doesn't stop. He's speaking right now. Not even necessarily through me, but he's speaking into your heart. He speaks through the songs that we sing. He speaks through his word. And we came back to that, that his word is the, is the bedrock of it all. And if you're not reading his word and you're not studying his word, then you're missing out on what he's trying to say to you. And this whole idea of forward over these four weeks and over next weekend is about moving all of us from a place of dependence on other people to have a relationship with God to independent discipleship between you and Jesus. That he's speaking directly into people's lives. Because none of us have anything special when it comes to having a relationship with God. You might, like, I don't know if you, if you grew up, I was the youngest of eight kids, and I suppose some of the others thought I was the favorite. I certainly would have disagreed with that. But maybe I got away with more because I was the youngest, and my man and I were more wore out and hadn't got the fight left in them that they had with the older ones. I don't know. But, but the reality of it was, families sometimes have favorites. God doesn't. There is no favorites in the family of God. And then there is all favorites in the family of God. Because he puts his favor onto everyone. The same favor. And then the next week we looked at the sabotage cycle, which was all about how we mess ourselves up, basically, isn't it? And like, I don't know about you, but I'm fairly good at that one. I have that one fairly well perfected. I know how to do that one really well. Um, the trick is trying not to do it. And trying to go beyond just the event and listen to the lie and then use God's truth against that but again if I'm not hearing from God if I'm not reading what he's saying to me if I'm not understanding that there's promises in the scripture I don't have the truth to fight the lie with and then last week we looked at identity and who we are and who we actually are and if you've missed any of these weeks the podcasts are there they're on the website if you can't find them on the website, let us know. We have them in a, in a WhatsApp. We can send them to you. Um, and our identity is crucial. Because everybody and everything will try and tell you who you are and what you are. But when you hear what God says about you, that just overrides the whole lot of it. You will never really do anything great for God until you know who you are in God. Because the minute you step out to do something for God, everybody's going to have a go at you. Everyone. Always be people with opinions. About what you can't do, what you shouldn't do, how you should do it, who you think you are. You can't even do that right. I didn't like this. I didn't like that. I didn't like the other. When you know who you are in God, it doesn't matter what they think. That's why the Punchinello story was so powerful. 
Because he went to visit Eli, who was his maker. And his maker told him who he was. And if we will take the time to spend with Jesus and with our Father in heaven and let him tell us who we are, then the world can say what they like and it won't get us. But if you don't put that in, if you don't build that relationship, then you will be somebody who gets thrown left, right, and center. You will continuously get hurt. You will continuously find yourself falling back into that sabotage cycle. And you will continuously find yourself doing what we're talking about today, losing an appetite for the eternal. Because you don't have that hook in God. Today, what we want to try and do is get to the place where we understand that God put eternity inside of our hearts. He put it there on purpose. He put needs inside of us that only he can meet. There's nobody can fulfill those needs. It was like, I love you. Um, the guy who's coming next week, Israel, is his first name. can't think of his second name now. Um, God, it's gone. Uh, I can't remember his second name. Israel is his first name anyway. But he, he does this in, in the States. And he talks about the difference, which is really interesting, um, in my head, I went to the chipper, but he talked about eating out of a machine. You know when you go to the machine, you buy a bag of crisps and a bar of chocolate, right? But then there's, like, um, there's an O'Brien sandwich bar beside it who sell like salads and stuff. But you're looking at a Mars bar, a salad, a Mars bar, a salad, a Mars bar. Like, there's no competition, is there? Really? The Mars bar is going to win, isn't it? <laughs> like, let's be honest about it. Okay. Well, in my world, the Mars bar wins every time. You can walk, rest, and play with a Mars bar, can't you? That's what the ad says anyway. It also fills you up with sugar. It will, um, it will gratify me, but it may not satisfy me. Okay, it will certainly feel better for a short while, but it won't actually do, do what it needs to do. But if we live, if we could imagine life like we have that choice, we can live out of a vending machine or we can live out of a healthy diet. Right, so I can live on Mars bars and crisps and cans of Coke. Or I can live, don't necessarily have to be a vegan or a vegetarian, or, but like you can eat healthy food, clean food, for want of a better way. But we can eat vegetables, we can eat salads, we can drink more water. Um, and not to say you can't have a Mars bar now and again, but that you can eat healthy and just visit the vending machine rather than living out of that and visiting the healthy stuff. Does that make sense? Bring that into your spiritual life. The vending machine is all the stuff that we do to meet the needs that we've got. The healthy food is God and a relationship with him and a relationship with his people and allowing him to fill the needs that we're going to the vending machine for. Does that make sense? You see, I either live... Well, let me put it a different way. I have often tried not to live out of vending machine. I'm, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Rather than I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. And, it's, and I've lived my life trying not to sin rather than lived my life building a relationship with God. Because as long as I'm trying not to sin, my focus is on what I don't want to be doing. And God kind of just becomes a judge. And I lose that relationship with him. 
Whereas when I build my life on building a relationship with him, the sin stuff tends to take care of itself because it kind of falls off. I gave up smoking years and years and years ago, back in the early 90s. Um, and do you know how I got off it? I started running. I started jogging and I started, excuse me, playing squash. Cigarettes were getting in the way. I concentrated on what I wanted and what I didn't want fell away. I still wanted to smoke, don't get me wrong, I still had the cravings and all that. But once I got past that, filling my life up with stuff that was healthy meant there wasn't room for the unhealthy stuff. It was much easier than just trying not to smoke because I had tried that, let's just not smoke stuff. I probably gave up cigarettes about a thousand times in my lifetime. Sometimes it lasted for ten minutes, sometimes it lasted an hour, sometimes a week, but I always went back. Or if I, if I look at it in the, in, the, in the realm of marriage, I wrote this down here the other day, I didn't spend my life trying not to have an affair. I didn't spend my life trying to avoid the things that would meet my needs outside of my marriage. I spent my life pursuing my marriage and pursuing the woman that I had got rather than not pursuing the women I hadn't got. When we walk with God, we have loads of needs. They're emotional, spiritual, physical. And most of the time before we start walking with God, we meet them in whatever way is available. But when we come into that place of a relationship with God, we get an opportunity to meet all those needs with Him and through Him and in Him. And we have the choice as we go through life to choose... You're all right the Mars bar or to choose the health. We have the choice to choose the stuff of this world or the stuff of God. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that you placed eternity into our hearts. I want to thank you that inside each and every one of us there is a a shape, a God-shaped hole that only you can fill, but that we try and fill it with everything. So Lord, as we talk for this next bit of time, I pray that you would speak truth into our hearts, that you would speak truth into my heart and into everyone in this room, that you would show us where we have tried to meet that appetite that we have that you gave us, that appetite for the eternal things that we've tried to meet with the temporal things of this world. I want to ask you to show us, Lord, and then I want to ask you to help us live the life that you created us to live, to live the adventure with you and not to let this world trip us up anymore. And I ask it in Jesus' name. In the book of Ecclesiastes 3.11 it says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. He has planted eternity in the human heart. God put eternity into your heart and he put it into mine. Okay, and it happened in Genesis. God breathes life into humankind. And since then, our hearts have continuously been drawn towards heaven. Whether we want to accept that or not accept it, we try and fill it with everything. People all over the world will try and fill it with success, with sex, drugs, and rock and roll, with materialism, with secularism, with whatever you want to call it. But there is a longing and a deep thing. And the amount of people, if you read their, their obituaries and their autobiographies and all that, who died rich, famous, and all the rest of it, and they'll all still go, there was something missing. I thought once I got another billion dollars, I'd be happy. 
There is eternity placed inside of us. And nothing is going to search it. Nothing is going to actually fill it except God. God has planted it. He's etched it into your heart and into my heart. His eternal DNA has been grafted in there. So as I become a Christian, I become awakened to that hunger. I just don't know how to fill it. What I do know is going to the chipper for the junk food. What I don't know is the healthy option. I do know how to fill all my needs with all of the ways of the world because I spent 30 years doing that. What I don't know is how to do it God's way. And that's what I had to learn. And that's what we have to learn as followers of Jesus is how to fulfill our needs because we have needs and there's nothing wrong with having needs. There's nothing wrong with having needs. We're human beings. God created us with them. But we fill them the wrong way. Before we even knew any of this, God put it into us. In Psalm 139, he talks about how he formed us together in our mother's womb. It says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Your life was written in God's book. You're supposed to be connected to God. And when you don't have that connect, there is a break. And we will spend all of our days trying to figure out how to make that break, even when we don't realize that the break is with God. Even if we want to deny that the break is with God, we'll still have something inside of us driving us to try and make that connection. We have history with God that our bodies and our minds don't know anything about. It was before all of that. It was before you had any understanding. You have a relationship with God possible before you could even think of what the word relationship meant. Never mind be able to say it. In Psalm 42, it says, As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. So my soul longs for you. There is a spiritual and an emotional hunger that goes far beyond our own world. Far beyond it. And the thing is, we're always trying to get back to that original relationship we had with God. The relationship that was in the garden. The relationship that Adam and Eve had with God. Adam and Eve had with God. Face-to-face, authentic, unashamed, vulnerable. Imagine having a relationship with God like that. Imagine there being nothing, no interference. No snow on the telly. No crackly radio. No stuff in this world stopping you hearing what God is saying to you. Imagine. That's what God created us to have. So when Adam and Eve were in the beginning, the world wasn't competing with God. And they were able to have all of their needs met in that absolutely unblemished relationship they had with God. Now we have everything trying to stop us. We have the world all around us telling us we can meet all our needs in that. We have the enemy of our souls telling us, don't mind God. And we'll have our own flesh pulling us off in all kinds of directions. And the world will tell me that its offering is better than what God is offering. And that's what the devil did with Adam and Eve. He got them to look at the apple and go, that's better than what God is telling you. We talked about that even where last week he attacks our identity, who we are. So if we, if we lose who we are, we lose our relationship with God, then we don't hear straight. And when the other things are telling us different stuff, we begin to believe it and we act over it. 
We have an appetite for the eternal, and we can spoil that with earthly things. Just like I have an appetite for healthy food, but I can spoil it with the junk. And I do regularly. I'm often hungry, and I should be sitting down having a broccoli sandwich or whatever, and I'm having a bag of crisps. Broccoli sandwich doesn't sound right, sure it doesn't. The enemy wants to keep you from experiencing the fullness of those longings from God. And he will do anything he can. He'll try and make you dependent on stuff in this world. And he'll try and get your adoration towards things of this world. Anything that grasps your attention enough, that becomes that central place where you go to get your needs met, can become an idol in our life. When we read the Old Testament and we talk about the idols and all that kind of stuff, and, and there was a whole heap of stuff went on too. Um, I remember when, when we came Christian first, and there was this big wave thing, and it was real anti-Catholic church stuff because they had statues and they were idols, and people were worshipping them and all the rest of it. And I'm not saying that's right. I don't believe we're supposed to be worshipping statues. But here's the thing. You can have idols just as big in your life without ever having a statue in your house. I know people whose job is their idol. Their money is their idol. Their security is their idol. Their um, walls that they've built around their hearts so that they won't let anybody in there to hurt them is their idol. Their car is their idol. Loads of different things we can build into our lives, which gets our attention, it gets our focus, it gets our worship. And here's the thing. We, we do that because we want to manipulate and we want to control. And manipulate is a real negative word, isn't it? Where you said, oh, they're manipulating the situation. Here's the thing. When we're trying to manipulate something, all we're trying to do is stay safe in it. People have a fear and they want to stay safe. And we have a fear because we have these needs and if we don't get met, then we feel empty and we feel all kinds of stuff. But we try and control situations to keep ourselves safe in. And the trouble is, the more you try and control something, the less you're allowing God into it. And usually the more our control it ends up gone. So if we block God from meeting the needs that we have, then we have no other option but to try and meet them somewhere else because they're not going to go away. They just aren't. Having eternity planted in my heart means that there's nothing on this earth can satisfy you. Nothing on this earth can console me the way God can. Nothing. And I need to learn how to live a life when I'm not looking for the things of this earth to do it. When I'm not looking for the things that are all around me for to fill that place that only God is supposed to fill. But here's the thing. If I'm not even aware of the fact that that's what I'm doing, then what chance have I got? We need to learn to go to God first. For the last couple of weeks, we've talked about, and even the exercises and the prayer times we've done at the end, has not about being, come up here and we'll pray for you. It has been about, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. God wants to deal with you. God wants to talk to you. God will talk to you through other people, but he wants to talk to you to you. He wants you to hear him. There are needs in our life that we were designed to meet primarily from God. That's why he put it in our hearts the way he did, so that we would seek to have those needs met from him. 
He created a dependence in us on him so that we would maintain a relationship with him. And I'll take that apart a little bit more in a minute. (coughs) But Adam and Eve, there was no sin. The world was perfect. And this couple in the garden were perfect, but they still had needs. And they were designed by God for to keep that relationship going. And then needs are these. There's identity, significance, security, intimacy, companionship, purpose, legacy, understanding, knowing God and his plans, affirmation, support and encouragement and validation. And here's the thing. They're key things that we need. And it doesn't matter how successful you are. It doesn't matter how self-sufficient they are. It doesn't matter how healthy your background is. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have. You're always going to need these things. And God put those needs in there in you and me so that he could meet them. Not so that people in our life could meet them. Not so that the world could meet them. So that he could meet them. He wants us to experience fulfillment. And he gives us several ways to do that. And some of it is true with other people. He'll use other people to do it. Some of the ways he'll channel love to us even is through parents or friends or spouses or children. Maybe even through some of the things that we do in a career or in a ministry. Maybe through people mentoring us or showing us how to do things or, or stepping along the way with us. He'll show us his love that way. But they're only people or systems or things that God puts in place for to help us meet the primary needs. And here's the problem. We make those secondary things the primary thing. Does that make sense? We make the stuff that God gave us and the people God gave us for to meet the needs that are through him and we make them more important than the relationship with him. And the enemy in cooperation with our human nature We'll try and make these secondary things a source of primary dependency, and that's idolatry. That is a form of idolatry. Martin Luther said, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Whatever your heart clings to or confides in, that is really your God. Our dependency and devotion need to go to God first. All the fulfillment that we need for our needs needs to be entrusted to God first. The psalmist, the psalmist, the psalmist, the psalmist said as a question, right in Psalm 103, 5, he said, Who satisfies your desires with good things? Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? So who does? Don't answer that out loud. But answer it in your heart. Who does? I hope it's God. I really do hope it's God. When we go to God expecting that he'll meet them, he never is begrudging. He never goes on like we're bothering them. He is a good, good father. And I loved that we sang that song this morning, that he is a good, good father. He wants to meet your needs. He wants to save us from the hurt of being disappointed. And our greatest disappointments occur when our desires our desires that are designed only to be satisfied by the infinite God. We try and satisfy them with temporal and finite things in this planet. And we end up getting disappointed. 
we often interfere with how God wants us to have these needs met. We found ways to meet our own needs. Sometimes it's defense mechanisms. Sometimes it's stuff to cover over our feelings. And in that process, we, we push God out. And we do it as we're grown up. We learn these things. We can have a negative or an unhealthy response to our emotions. And the reality of it is, we do that to keep ourselves safe. Because we don't want to experience the disappointment and the hurt. Imagine if a man um, is the breadwinner in the house or, or the mammy, whoever, and, and they lose their job. And they come home and they're like, how am I going to deal with this pressure? How am I going to cope with this? What they do? And he comes home and he buys a half pack on the way home or a bottle of vodka on the way home. And they sit at home and just drink. Maybe they weren't really drinkers. Normally. But the pressure, because he has a need for what? He has a need for affirmation. He has a need for validation. He has a need for security. He's all of these needs that are rising up inside of him and they're all being shattered by being told he's going to lose his job. Does he go to the vending machine or does he go to the healthy? Many people end up with the bottle. Where if they could, and this is not judging anyone, it's just, man, it'd be so much better for him if he went to God. So much better. And the trouble is he gets drunk. But all the chaos is still there. Nothing's changed. Nothing's fixed. He wakes up the next morning with a hangover and he still has no job. Don't get any better. And he's picked this up idea up somewhere. Somewhere along the way, he's saying somebody was handling with pressure and they had a drink. It's a coping mechanism. And we get them from some, we all have them. Does none of us, me included, don't have them. And we learned them somewhere. Somewhere along the way, we saw someone else do something. Oh, we got into a place. Um, and we went, well, that's how they do that. I had a situation with Kieran when he was only about five. He's 34 now. This is as clear to me today as it was to me 30 years ago. We were living in Kilnamana. We were on our way to school. He said something, and I said something back to him. I don't remember the words that were spoken, but I still remember the look on his face. And it was a look that made me think, I swore I would never become one of them, and I just have. I did to him what my parents did to me. And I had a coping mechanism built in for how to deal with a child who wasn't doing what I told him. And I didn't even realize I had it. I walked, um, I don't, sorry, I don't walk with a man of a friend whose father was a, an accountant, very successful man, but an alcoholic. And I had breakfast with this man the other day, 74 years of age, multi-millionaire, property developer, multi-millionaire. Um, and he was sitting there and we were talking about growing up and the differences and him and how his life had gone. And he said, when I was 11, something happened in, in my home. And he said, I walked out of a room and I said, I cannot depend on him. I need to learn to depend on myself. Eleven. Okay? 
I need to learn how to make plans, and I need to, have to learn how to follow through on them plans. And he did. What he had experienced as a child growing up was a father who was successful, but who lost everything. Lost the house, lost the car, lost the wife, lost everything. They were broke. He grew up exceptionally successful. Never lost anything except the wife and the family. Because his coping mechanism cut him off from relationships. Are you with me? And sometimes our coping mechanism cuts us off from God's best. It keeps us safe, but it gets us other pain. It keeps us safe from the pain we were trying to run away from. And his was fear and security and all of that stuff. So he got his security, but he worked seven days a week for it. He ended up, when his kids were growing up, the wife just went, had enough now, they're gone, I'm out here. There's nothing left. And when people are going into that place, what goes on in their head is, I'm never going to be a victim again. I'm not going to let anyone hurt me again. I'm not going to trust anybody again. I'm going to be jumping out of a plane and packing my own parachute. I'm not letting any years do it for me. Because when I did do that, I got hurt. When I did do that, they let me down. When I did do that, it didn't work out. Can you put that graph up for me for a second, Tony? I don't know if you can see that, but up on the top, these are the kind of actions and reactions that we have and we've built in, and they're, they're, we call them illegitimate, okay? In, in, in essence, they're things that, that we do that's not the way we're supposed to react to situations. We have anger, hostile confrontation, judging, fantasizing, gluttony, shutting down, disconnected, isolation. And when this happens, it's not like we plan it. We don't go into a situation and go, oh, I think I'm going into this situation. Something like, I'm, I'm going to get angry and blow it. I'm going to snap. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But somewhere in the middle of it, we do. And then somewhere afterwards, we sit back and go, how the hell did that happen? What happened there? I mean, this, this is a, I think it's a classic one. And, and it happened, that's what happened to me with Carol. How many times have you said something and God, oh, God, I'm becoming my mother? Do you know what I mean? The reality of it is we fall into it. We don't do it on purpose. Some people get angry all the time. Some people isolate and push people away all the time. We do all kinds of stuff. I.e., when I get really stressed out and stuff like that, not all the time, a bit less now than I used to, but I still want a cup of tea and a biscuit. I'll still want the I'd still want that physical. I'll fall into that gluttony thing because it's the comfort. But the emotions are still there. It doesn't deal with them. It just hides them very shortly. And the thing about it is, once we're dealing with stuff at that level, up there, we're in the surface thing. We're not getting any, We're not getting near the heart of the matter. Someone does something, we react. Things get worse generally, but nothing ever gets sorted. Nothing ever gets dealt with. And I'm not even talking about interpersonal relationships. I mean nothing's getting dealt with in here. Nothing's getting sorted out in here because we're not going to God. We're falling into our coping mechanism. We're falling into our, 
sabotage like we're falling into believing the lies we're falling into doing all the stuff that we've done all our life but God looks at our heart and he wants to change our heart because he knows if he can change our heart he can change our life if he can change me from the inside, he can change the outside life that I'm living. And then he can affect other people with that life as well. In 1 Samuel, God was, um, Samuel was looking, trying to find the person that God wanted as a king. You can read the story. It was about when David got chosen as the king. Or, yeah, David. But, and, he, and he was looking at all the different people. But God said, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Sorry. That was a different person. Yeah, it was when he was looking for, for David. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? He looks at the heart. He looks at what's going on inside you. He's going, that's the bit I want to work with. I don't care that you keep snapping. I don't care that you keep pushing people away. I don't care that you do all of that stuff. What I want to do is heal that piece. So if I heal that piece, all that stuff will fall away. So when God sees me going on like that, he's looking into my heart and he's going, don't go there. I have better for you. He wants us to think a little bit deeper into why are we behaving this way. He wants us to think a little bit deeper about what is going on for us, what's driving it, what's pushing us to behave like that. And that goes back to the emotions that we've got and the feelings that we've got. And they're there in the second bit, the fear and the insecurity and the worthlessness and the the feeling of a lack of control or the hurt or the need to escape. See, when you come up against a person or someone comes up against you, what they see first is the stuff on the top. Imagine that like an iceberg. You know them iceberg ones where they see and you only see a little bit in the top and the rest of the real icebergs underneath? Well, that top bit is the bit that people get. That's what they see. That's what they get in an interaction with us. They get the anger. They get the hostility. They get the, the drinking or the drugging or the, or the sexing or whatever it is. That's what they get. But what's driving that is what we're feeling underneath. When we're feeling scared, when we're feeling worthless, when we're feeling insecure. And there's nothing wrong with our feelings. There's nothing wrong with having feelings. They're there for a reason. They're there to kind of guide us and help us along the way. But they're not supposed to dictate how we behave. Imagine your feelings are like your kids. If you bring your kids out in the car, okay, you don't let them drive. Now, you don't stick them in the boot either, though you might feel like it but you don't, right? They're in it. They're part of it. And they might even tell you, how, if they're watching Google Maps for you, they might even tell you how to go. But they're not going to be dictating to you. They're your kids. Your emotions and your feelings shouldn't be dictating to us. But we need to take account of the fact that we have them. And we have them because they're a gift from God. And they're usually pointing to the fact that there's something not right in your life. If you're feeling worthless, it's because there's something going on in your identity. And the circumstances that you're in is just kicking off of that identity piece for us. If you're feeling afraid, maybe that's about your security in God, or maybe it's just about, maybe you are physically in a place where you, you should be afraid and you need to move. But you need to become aware of our emotions. But we have to stop letting our emotions drive us into behaving in the ways that are destructive on us. So when it comes to emotions, the world tells us to follow them. Do what you feel like. The stay, the stay safe program in the schools. If it doesn't feel good, it's not good. Don't do it. Or do do it if it feels good. 
the church over the years has told you, and religious legalism has told you to ignore your, your feelings and just do what you're supposed to do. And God says, give me your feelings. Bring them to me. Bring them to me. In Psalm 56, verse 8, it says this. You keep track of all of my sorrows. You have collected all of my tears in your bottle. You keep track of all of my sorrows. You have collected all of my tears in your bottle. You know what's funny? It doesn't collect our sins. It doesn't collect our shame. It doesn't collect our regrets. It doesn't collect our failures. But it collects our tears. The things that hurt us matter to him. He knows about them. The things we've cried for. And you know what happens when we cry in situations like that? Lots of times we push God away. We push God away. When he's going, no, let me in there. Let me sit with you. Let me cry with you. Let me hold you. He wants to collect your tears. God wants to be involved and he doesn't want us just acting out of our emotions. He wants us to let, he wants us to let him speak into those places. Here's what's happening. We have these legitimate needs, identity, significance, security, intimacy, companionship, purpose, legacy, understanding. We have them. They're there. But we can meet them all in God. And because we have those needs, they generate as emotions. Because I have a need for identity, if I don't feel it in God... I will get it off other people. But the minute other people don't feed into what I think I'm supposed to be, I will begin to feel worthless. Does that make sense? Because I feel worthless, I will then act out in whatever way, whether it's anger or hostility or, or isolation, any of them. There's something about the culture that we live in that says you shouldn't have a need. You should be able to meet everything yourself. You're weak. We use that as a phrase about people. They're very needy, aren't they? Have you ever heard someone said? You've never said anything like that about anyone, sure you haven't? No, but I bet you you've heard other people go, they're very needy, aren't they? They have a need in them. They have a want and that one has a want in her. Do you know what I mean? Do you know when you have a need for one of those things, it's the proof that you have God's DNA inside you. Isn't that amazing? The fact that I have a need for identity and I have a need for security and I have a need for purpose and I have a need for legacy and companionship is just a sign that there's an eternal DNA inside of me craving for relationship with my maker. I have a hunger inside of me that there's nothing on this planet can satisfy. And so have you. There's nothing that will satisfy it. It's a God-shaped hole. Show me that other one for a second, Tony, with the heart, with the, the cross. Now, see that? It's not a perfect idea, but it's a hole. 
the only thing that's ever going to fit right into that is the thing that was made to fit in there. If you look up Google Images for a hole in your God-shaped hole in your head, you'll find all kinds of stuff. But we'll be trying to put blocks in there. We'll be trying to put circles in there. We'll be trying to put squares in there. There's none of them going to fit. There is something in us having them needs that drives us back to God. Do you ever let your kids out to play? You can put it back to the graph, Tony. Do you ever let your kids out to play on the street and they won't come in when you call them? And then it's lunchtime. And then they come in because it's lunch, not because you're calling them. But you go, lunch is ready, and they come in to get lunch, and then they disappear again. Only for lunch, you'd never see them. I think sometimes only for our needs, God would never see us. He created us with needs so that we would go to him. We have a hunger that only he can do. And when we experience pain... Because one of these legitimate needs are not being met. It's an invitation to come to God. It's an attention getter. We don't want want pain, but it gets our attention. Doesn't it? We experience a feeling that our needs are not being met. makes us feel uncomfortable, vulnerable. We don't like it. And how we respond is we react. Maybe we fantasize or we drink or we eat or we run. Because the pain is there. We do all this stuff. Illegitimate actions. Give us that graph, Tony. We do the stuff on the top of that graph to medicate the pain. And God's saying, hold on, that's not what that pain is for. I didn't give you the discomfort so you could run away to the world. I gave it to you to draw you back to me. I put something in my notes and I was thinking, and I will share it. I wasn't sure whether I would or not. I have in the past prayed for pain for people. Not that they would be healed of pain, but that God would send pain that would bring them back to God. Because I have walked with many people, and I've done it myself, and this is why I know it. When I was in trouble with things, I was very close to God. As soon as life kind of got, okay, I have a job now, I have a few bob, I have a house, I have a car, I have all that kind of stuff. Not many hassles here, life is lovely, we're just smooth along. And forget about God. You've seen it happen with people here. Over the years, they come in, they don't have anything, then God blesses them to bits and then they go off. God never even hears from them again till there's pain. Then they go back to God. And here's the bit that I think if we can learn, we can avoid pain. Go to God with the needs because you have them. It says if we seek first the kingdom, we talked about that last week, all these things will be added on. It's when we make all them things the kingdom that it becomes an issue. We need to seek forced God and then let him add all them things on. One of the other things we do is we don't want to deal with stuff at a deeper level. You snap, you're in a conversation with somebody, could be in church, could be at home, could be anywhere. You snap, you lose it, blah, blah, blah. You have your little tantrum. You get over it and someone says, I want to talk about that. And you go, no, I said I'm sorry. Shut up, leave me alone. I used to do that with Anne all the time. I said I'm sorry. What more do you want? And she'd be like, but you don't want to talk about it. And I'd be going, no. The funny thing was, when we did talk about it, we found out that what I snapped over wasn't what I was angry about. There was something else going on. And it usually takes a little bit of digging. But the digging can be uncomfortable. Fair enough. But God's not going to let uncomfort stop him digging to bring you to the place 
that he created you to go to. He is much more interested in your character than your comfort. Much more. It can be hard to trust God with our emotions and our needs. And that's because we've been hurt. We've been let down. People have messed up. We got vulnerable. We trusted somebody with a legitimate need. And they hurt us. And we're like, we're never going to do that again. That's not happening. So when God says, bring that stuff to me, we think, look, God, you're my last resort. You're all I've got, and everyone else let me down. And you know what? I'm really afraid you're going to let me down. And you mightn't say them words out loud. And if you're around church life a long time, you'll be gone. I'm definitely not saying them words because that's blasphemy or something. You'll have all kinds of stuff in your head. But that's a fear that most of us carry, that God will let us down. God will never let us down. He may not answer the way I want him to answer. He may not sort stuff out the way I want him to sort stuff out. But he will never let us down. And he won't hurt us. He'll allow pain to come, but he won't hurt us. John Eldridge, in a book called Waking the Dead, said, To find God, you must look with all your heart. To remain present to God, you must remain present to your heart. To hear his voice, you must listen with all your heart. To love him, you must love with all your heart. You cannot be the person God meant you to be, and you cannot live the life he meant you to live unless you live from the heart. The enemy's plan from the beginning was to assault the heart. Make them so busy, they ignore the heart. Wound them so deeply, they don't want a heart. Do you ever honestly sit there? I know I've done this. And I was just in so much pain. I go, God, I don't even want to feel ever again. Never mind, I just don't want to feel this pain. I just don't want to feel. Because this is too hard. I can't do this. I don't want a heart. Twist their theology so much that they despise the heart. Take away their courage. Destroy their creativity. And make intimacy with God impossible. The enemy's plan from the beginning has been to attack and assault the heart. Where most of these feelings and the legitimate needs that we have in life live. But if we can insist that God lives there if we can continuously invite God into that space, if we press through our emotions and our fears, he'll meet us there. He will meet us there. And then when we read this scripture, it will make so much more sense to us. And it's from 1 Peter, and it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God does care. He does care. Cast your cares on him. No, me dad let me down. No, cast your cares on me. But my friends didn't come through to me. No, cast your cares on me. Oh, but the pastor in that church hurt me. No, cast your cares on me. Because I care for you. I have counted all your tears and I have them collected in a bottle. I know your pain. I know what you are grieving and I'm with you. And I long to console you and to love you and to make you new. This is our God. This is the God that, that, that we follow. 
There's an amazing um, scene in that movie, The Shack, where they're planting a tree, and, and the girl, I can't think of her name, or something, who's supposed to be the Holy Spirit, opens up this little bottle, and he says, what's that? And she says, they're your tears. We can't control God. We can't magic him up like he's a genie in a bottle. Can't make him talk to us, and we can't manipulate him. But he is with us. Sometimes we're not even always going to hear him, but we need his presence. We need his presence. And sometimes his presence is enough. Maybe no words, just presence. I think all of us long for an encounter with God. All of us long for a glimpse of his eternity, an encounter with his presence. We want to be in the presence of the person who loves us most. We want to be in the presence of people who love us. But we need, and we have an eternal longing in us to be in the presence of the one who loves us the most. Can't explain it. You can do, do, do all you want. Jesus said do, like tired, fast, pray, read your scripture, do all of the stuff. Jesus said do all of them, tired, fast, pray, do all of them. But don't neglect the relationship. Don't neglect the sitting at the feet. Don't neglect the presence. Don't neglect the fact that you have God with you and available to you all the time. Stop reacting and start inviting. So when you end up in a situation where you feel fearful, instead of reacting out of that fear, invite God into that fear. When you end up in a place where you feel vulnerable, instead of acting out of that, invite God into it. I have had conversation after conversation after conversation with God all day long about the stuff up on the top. All the anger, the hostility, all of that kind of stuff. And you know, my conversation is, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Did it again, I'm sorry. Did it again, I'm sorry. Not very encouraging prayer times. Didn't exactly wake up in the morning saying, we can't wait to get into God's presence and tell him I'm sorry. But when I started inviting God into them other two places, into where my feelings were and where my needs were, that changed the ballgame. If you had a relationship with anyone and every time they met you, they just spent the whole thing telling you that they were sorry for what they did. How often would you want to be meeting them? I mean, you have lunch with them today, two hours, and they just spend the two hours telling you about all the stuff they did yesterday that was wrong, and they're sorry. And then you meet them tonight, and then they tell you all about the stuff they did this afternoon that was wrong, and they're sorry. And then you meet them in the morning, and then they tell you all about what they did last night that was wrong, and they're sorry. You'd kind of get fed up wanting to meet them, wouldn't you? I'd imagine they'd get fed up wanting to come and talk to you as well. But we, like, there's loads of us have a relationship with God that's all about that I'm sorry stuff. Not that repentance is good. We should. If we did something wrong, repent, move on, leave it behind you. But that whole going back to God and having a whole conversation all around that fourth part of that pyramid is like a waste of a relationship. Because when we go into him and say, you know what, God, I'm feeling scared. And I don't even know why I'm scared, but I'm scared. I'm feeling vulnerable. I'm feeling worthless. I'm feeling whatever. And I know that you have put a need in me somewhere that I'm trying to meet, and that emotion is telling me that's not being met, and I want to go and do this. Can you help me? I want to tell you, he will come in, and he will meet you in that place, and he will change 
what's going on inside of you. He's not necessarily going to change your circumstances, but he will change inside of you. And you will walk away from that conversation with God feeling strengthened instead of feeling condemned. And you will want to go into that conversation with God because you know going in there, it's going to energize you. Who, who remembers watching The War Room, the movie? Do you remember that? So we had it on here. Some of you, if you haven't watched it, watch it. Okay. That woman went into that prayer closet to create havoc. She didn't go in there saying, I'm sorry. She went in there to fight. She went in there with her needs, with her emotions, and with all of the legitimate needs that she had, she brought them straight to God. And she saw him move. So what I want to do right now is just invite God in. And I'm going to ask you, maybe, maybe you close your eyes. If you don't want to close your eyes, then just pick something on the table that you can look at. And all I'm going to ask you is, just, just try as hard as it is, I know, to ignore the people that are around you. And I don't care if you're sitting with family or not. It's just, this is just about you and God. Because his presence is here. And I'm going to ask you, will you invite him into that place in your life that's vulnerable? Maybe you might think for a minute of a, a reaction that you, you were involved in over the last few days. Maybe you snapped at someone, maybe you judged somebody, maybe you gave into a fantasy and looked at something on a computer you shouldn't have looked at, maybe you went back to an addiction. Maybe you had an action or a reaction that you gave into. This is not about shame, and this is not the place or the time for shame. So if shame is coming with it, just stop it. It's not about you feeling bad about yourself, it's just about picking a thing that's gone on over the last little while. So let's take that action and find out what the feelings were below it. Not a prayer that you would give us an opportunity to look at the feelings. Show us what was driving our actions. Show us what made me snap. Show us what made me do this or do that, whatever it was. Lord. I just pray right now that you would show us. Was it fear, insecurity? Lack of control. Was I hurt? Maybe I needed to escape for a second. What, what was it? I want to ask you to take that feeling and present it to God. Give it to Him as a gift, even. Imagine, see yourself taking that and putting it in your hands as a tangible object and give it to God. Here are my feelings, Lord. Here are my tears. I trust you with them. Lord, we give you these feelings. We trust you with our feelings. Trust you with what has gone on in my heart right now. I'm angry, I'm tired, I'm stressed, I'm depressed. I just want to escape. You know how I feel. But I want to surrender my feelings to you, Lord, before I surrender to my feelings. And Jesus, I ask that you would reveal to us what 
my legitimate needs are. What am I needing right in this moment in time? What is at the core of this? Under my actions, beyond my feelings, what are my legitimate needs? Lord, show me what my soul is crying out for. Show me what I really need right now. I pray, Lord, that you would help people in this room to wait until you meet that need. I believe God will show you what you need. And I want to ask you to let him, and let him speak to it. Let him speak to you. This is a serious moment. It's a moment for God to speak into your heart. We're going to dismiss in a minute, but I want to ask you to stay in this place. Stay in that place where you're at right now. And allow God to speak to you. And allow God to show you what your legitimate needs are and the natural emotions that come from them. And allow him to meet them and to meet you there. I'll give out some notes in a minute that has lots of scripture references and things like that in it for you. And I'll encourage you to let God speak to you through those. Father, I pray that you would seal your words into our hearts. I pray that what's not of you would just fall to the ground, Lord, but what is of you would speak right into hearts right now. And as we sit in this place and we sit in this time, that you would continue to speak. And I want to encourage you, if you're still in the process of hearing God, to sit quietly and don't move. Even if people around you move, just sit and let God speak to you. If you're finished and you want to move, I'm going to ask you maybe you go out into the corridor if you want to go and collect your kids. If you do collect your kids, please don't bring them back in here. If people are still here, don't bring them back. Give them that space.